I don't know what they're smoking over there at Princeton. The focus on ridicule. I'm white and I've got everything I need. No one clutches their purses when they're in a room alone with me. And I can drive for any neighborhood I please. At any hour, and the police don't do a thing. So if I see a penny on the ground, I leave it alone and fucking flip it. I'm a straight white male in America. I've got everything I need. I'm a guy getting paid more than a girl with a degree. And I can walk down the streets after dark, no one wants to rape me. And I can get a girl pregnant and just as easily flee. Just like my straight white male dad did to me. So if I see a penny on the ground, I leave it alone and fucking flip it. I'm a straight white male in America. I've got all the luck I need. I've got a pile of broken mirrors and I'm walking under ladders and I'm spilling tons of salt, but to me that doesn't matter because my skin and my gender and my orientation are the best things to have if you live in this nation. I recommend it highly. On the ground, I leave it alone and fucking flip it. I'm a straight white male in America. I've got all the luck I need. Shit's gonna work out for me. Cause I'm a straight white male in America. I've got all the luck I need. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Intellectual Dollar Tree. We do the show live every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Pacific, right here on Twitch. That's twitch.tv slash echoplexmedia for anyone on the podcast. Uh, we're also simulcasting it to other places, but no one watches that shit anywhere else, and so that doesn't matter. Um, you can support this project at uh, echoplexmedia.com slash support, and you can, um, I don't know, buy stuff. Um, or you can sub to the channel like my co-host just did. Very nice of you to pay to be on your own show. Um, and, uh, of course, bits on Twitch are always good. And uh, I am Producer Dave. And um, you can find me on Grinder, depending on your zip code. And I am HK Perrin. Uh, you can find me on Mastodon at hparin at port87.social. And also, I pay to be here. Oh, well, fucking great. <laughs> fucking great. You should, you should also join the uh, join as a fucking uh, Live, Laugh, Lucifer member over at eplex.store while you're at it. Heck yeah. Live, Laugh, Lucifer. Live, Laugh, Learn to Code, Live, Laugh, Lucifer. The two... It is one is both the same. Live, laugh, learn to code is when you're basic and you live in Cupertino. <laughs> <laughs> so <clears throat> we've covered uh, this guy in the post game a little bit lately, but I took a look and uh, we haven't actually spoken about the most humble man in the world um, in in a while mm. on the the main feed here, HK. I don't have I don't have the award behind me. I used to have this award up on. On the, I I used to stream in front of a door, and I had the award on the door behind me, uh, the award for the most humble man in the universe, most humble man in the world, most humble man in the, I mean, most humble man in existence. Period. Just, uh, just Eric Weinstein, just the humblest, just the humblest. So, yep. this is 
There uh, is none humbler than Eric Weinstein. <laughs> so and this, he will tell you so. This is just gonna be this is just gonna be fantastic. Somebody in the chat mentioned that you the door behind you at your last place was actually uh the one they stole from the Capitol on January sixth. <laughs> uh, it was. So yep, I, I have paid a, the guy to go steal it. That's right. I have some predictions about this. Uh, one that we are not getting through all fucking three hours of it uh, during the show or the post game. And uh, two, I have a prediction that one or the other of us is actually going to get angry at Eric Weinstein during this three hours. Jesus Christ. Like, I don't believe in a hell, but hell is just having to have a, a three hour conversations with Eric Weinstein with 15 minute breaks to go fucking chain smoke three <laughs> cigarettes right between each one <laughs> shooting up heroin in between. That's the only way you could deal with that. At least you'd pass out and fucking die. What happens if you're in hell though? Could you die again? You, if you're in hell, the heroin just doesn't work. Oh man. Neither do the cigarettes. <laughs> Everything's on fire. If, if you're, if you're in hell, the heroin acts like caffeine. Also, everything makes on, you more aware of what's happening. <laughs> also, everything's on fire and somehow you just can't get your cigarette lit. <laughs> anyway, without any without any further ado, um, I'm sure the people listening uh, both live and on the podcast would rather you and I just have a chat about the concept of hell. But without any further ado, here <laughs> is Eric Weinstein on the Chris Williamson show and uh the title of this is why does the modern world make no sense? And, um, this I'm fucking sorry. I know this will do good numbers, but I'm sorry. I do like that. The title of, of the video that we're watching right now, um, the, it, it shows that the video is in 4k in case you were worried about not seeing Eric Weinstein in like 4k. If 720p Eric Weinstein is not enough for you, don't worry. You can count his pores in this video. You might have to watch the uh, source material on another device, though, because we still record in 720p, even though we have all the compute horsepower <laughs> in the world now, thanks to uh, thanks to historian Matt. Most recent fallout. <laughs> These opener questions are incredible. Um Man, they're already the to the isn't it great we're having this conversation part of it and we're fucking 12 seconds in. <laughs> <laughs> this opening question is incredible. <laughs> oh, I think we're going to get 10 minutes through this in an hour. It's It's amazing. It's amazing that it came to this and uh, what you being on a podcast in the middle Harvard of a brick said, room you've been on a thousand podcasts in the middle of the, the brick last room. generation who will continue to see harvard as this shining um city on a hill uh yep definitely like your yours and my kids and their kids below them like they they won't see harvard as anything good harvard last time harvard's gonna be good to be Period. fair, to be fair, Steven Pinker still teaches there. <laughs> I mean, it's Harvard. Like Harvard is an is 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 an institution in history. Like, of course, it's going to be good for our kids and their kids below them. Like, this guy's this guy has such a a pompous view of himself that he thinks that he's better than Harvard. 
So Harvard is good as a status symbol, right? But like that doesn't mean it's good. Like somebody in chat just said, yeah, actually, but it's better uh, than like, Eric somebody, like, like somebody in chat just said, actually, uh, it creates monsters. If you were to look at look at <laughs> listen to a podcast such as Robert Evans behind the bastards, you would learn that Harvard actually creates the world's monsters. It certainly has created monsters, but it's better than Eric Weinstein. I think it's a disgrace and we can't talk about it, which is the fascinating part that we are effectively losing our society because we're afraid to say certain things because we're being made afraid to say certain things. What do you mean? Well, okay. So as a Harvard alum, you get the Harvard magazine and this, this thing is incredible because it's just always, uh, Harvard people promoting other Harvard people in this sort of PR. Sir, it's the Harvard magazine. What the fuck else is it supposed to be doing? It's supposed to be selling you a Toyota. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> He's upset that the Harvard magazine is by Harvard kids for Harvard kids. And talks about Harvard and some of the things the people who went there are doing. It's like being mad that your own pictures in the fucking yearbook, man. <laughs> Um, the nepotism magazine. Yeah. Uh, PR fest. And I think I remember that the article introducing Claudine Gay was entitled a scholar's scholar. And I knew from the get go that this was not going to go well because, you know, I don't think people understand what, hold on. I knew from the get go that this was not going to go well. Was that because she was a black woman? Um, he wouldn't, I don't think he would say that. Uh, honestly, um, he wouldn't say that he would, no, he wouldn't, uh, he wouldn't say that he might make, well, well, let's, let's, um, listen, listen, attempts to read this man's mind are probably really bad for your mental health. So let's do a little less trying to pretend read to read his mind because the last thing you want to do is actually get, figure out how to do it and then get stuck in this guy's head for a couple of days. HK. <laughs> Right. How it functions and why it's different. Um, Harvard is really the fusion of two separate institutions. Um, one is about brilliance and one is about power. And so you can think about this as the sharpest. No, that's the same institution. It's in the sharpest elbows. And the sharp mind crowd gets uh, tons of resources because the sharp elbow crowd makes sure that power is used to perpetuate Harvard's place of privilege. And the sharp mind crowd contributes um, prestige to the sharp elbow crowd. And so by virtue of the fact that you can't deconflate the sharp minds and the sharp elbows, Harvard continues to have this very special place. Now, what is this special place? Why isn't it just a university like any other? Um, I mean, day to day for the students, a lot of times it, it is the, uh, just a university, much like any other. You get up, you're hungover, you go to class, fucking go to Starbucks. Ho you hope Peter Bogosian isn't standing in the fucking in the fucking courtyard asking you whether you strongly agree or agree with some dumbass <laughs> statement he's asking you about. You, you don't like some of your professors. You really don't like you really don't like some of your other professors like Steven Pinker. Maybe one of your professors was uh like on the Epstein flight logs. It's really not that different than any other university in the day by day. It's just that like at a at a party, I guess when you go back home, 
you get to tell everyone over and over again that you're going to Harvard until they like wish that you wouldn't have come to the party unless you're cool. And then you're, they're just like, how's, how's college? You're like, Oh, it's, it's fine. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't think that the day-to-day experience of the students is going to be dramatically different at Harvard. I think sort of two or three principal reasons. One of which is that, uh, Harvard is sort of an extension of the U.S. government. The government department, which is sort of how Harvard so? Excuse me. Is, how how well, is Harvard he's, he's, an extension of the U.S. government? Well, you you have to let him. T- you have to let the guy tell you a, a the dumb reason he thinks that. Actually, <laughs> okay. Uh, Harvard is sort of an extension of the U.S. government. The government department, which is sort of Harvard's version of poli sci is kind of an extension of the state department at times. The economics department uh, ends up setting economic policy in many ways for the United States. And above all, there is this concept that in every field, there's usually one institution that sets the narrative. So for example, in journalism, the New York Times is different than all other newspapers and news organs because of its focus on what we sometimes hear of as narrative-driven journalism. Now, people now talk a lot more about narrative, but 15 years ago, I don't think this was common knowledge that the editorial room at the New York Times is a place where people thought about what the long arcs of stories were. And you figured out what the arc of the story was before the facts came in. So, for example, Hillary is inevitable uh, was a long arc in narrative-driven journalism. It wasn't true, but all the information that came in when Hillary was running against uh, Donald Trump um, was fed through this prism of the inevitability of Hillary Clinton. In the same way, Harvard practices narrative-driven academics. It tells you what is happening, like, what the grand arcs so are. That would have been true if like 10,000 people had decided Hillary instead of Donald Trump. Like the way the way elections work in the United States makes it such that like 3 million people deciding one candidate over another doesn't actually matter. What matters is like 10,000 people deciding that and those 10,000 people live in like bumfuck nowhere. Or in, in this case, actually, these were this was like states like Pennsylvania that has big cities uh, where the turnout. Uh, sure. <clears throat> but like, you know, but that's, <clears throat> but like we're not if, in, if, if, not if, in like, like California. Not, I'm not doing the like 2016. I'm not, I'm not relitigating the 2016 election. I yeah. refuse to do that ever again on this channel. So I just, I will just talk over you anytime you try to do that. Um, okay. Um, <laughs> The point is here. Well, like the story would be so different if it was like if it wasn't up to those ten thousand. So we're not real. I just I, 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 we're not relitigating the twenty sixteen election. I'll kick you off the show. I'm, I'm, okay. I mean, it's kind of funny, but I'm not kidding. Okay. And those, just like the twenty sixteen election, are very often untrue. And so, that's a way in which Harvard serves power. It. It, uh, it brings people in who are brilliant and then it takes the ones of those who are willing to play ball with the engines of power and it, uh, it enters into 
the storytelling mode in which Harvard sets the tone for everyone. Wait, what? Um, so when you lose Harvard, it's very important and very different. But the last thing that I would say that really distinguishes Harvard is that Harvard, um, there's the open part of Harvard, the classrooms, and there's the closed part of Harvard that you can't see at all. That's like um, the, the janitor's closet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah janitorial services right that is like um (laughs) the 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 phone room (laughs) that is the maybe the mail room because like you're it's illegal to look at through other people's mail yeah yeah and obviously like (laughs) students don't have access to the mail room right like there there are many (laughs) there are locked doors inside of uh, almost any building in any institution of a of a significant size this is true eric good job he figured out uh the concept of a door (laughs) that you can lock there might even be private uh bathrooms in uh maybe somebody's office that they have a lock on oh shit people's office doors are locked it's true that's the private side of harvard uh, in the in the the the, the cafeteria, there are uh, locked doors. Like you can't just walk in where the people are cooking stuff. Uh, there's all kinds of uh, health code violations that you have to. He's he's onto something here. That's true. We got to open that up. Gotta let Eric. Got to let Eric in there to cook fucking to boil chicken with no fucking with no spices. <laughs> <laughs> open it to all the rats who want to cook. And it's sort of a system of star chambers. Um, and if I, I had one of those, I'd fucking lock the door. But like a star chain, whatever the fuck that means, I'd be like, oh, gotta lock the door for this. People who have not tangled with Harvard would would comprehend how much of what Harvard gets done it gets done behind closed doors because it can't be done in the open. Well, so, like, what do you mean? I'll give you a a crazy example. Uh, I was not allowed to attend. <laughs> As opposed to the normal system. example that he gives, which isn't crazy. <laughs> uh, I was not allowed to attend my own thesis defense. Now, it, you're not an academic by training. If you tell this to an academic, they don't even understand what you're saying. They think that you're making a joke or you must not have understood something or maybe you were sick that day and you had to zoom in or who knows what. But I don't mean that at all. I mean, when I tried to get my PhD, the Harvard Math Department instituted a rule that said you could not attend your own thesis defense. You could not determine who would uh, present your thesis, your dissertation. So basically what happened is um, if you had an advisor, which almost everyone did, your advisor presented your thesis behind closed doors. Nobody's ever heard of this in the history of academics. I mean, that There's doesn't, no that doesn't sound like the worst system, right? Like if your defense stands on its own, then you don't need to be there to defend it. You would only need to be there if your defense like your uh your phd dissertation was uh i don't want to say indefensible but like difficult to defend so you know what i mean i i'd like to propose a hypothesis that is probably false but it's the universe that i'd like to live in i have a feeling that people in the math <laughs> department who had met eric weinstein were the ones who implemented this uh, policy 
Yeah. Also, was he a Harvard student at the time or was he trying to get a PhD while not being a, a student that was attending Harvard? So we'll have to assume for the sake of like this. The, I mean, I, I think he was at Harvard, but like, again, my, 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 uh, my uh, headcanon on this is that everybody's like, all right, listen, the last thing we want to do is have this guy in a room telling us about his thesis. Okay. Listen, <laughs> we've, we've, we met a lot of fucking weirdos. But this guy takes the cake, so we're going to have to implement a new policy because this guy's getting towards the end of his uh, PhD program. We're going to give him his PhD to get rid of him. But we're not going to sit in a room with him for fucking five hours and listen to him fucking talk. (laughs) Everybody else's defense usually takes about 90 minutes, two hours. Not this guy. And who has the time? (laughs) No, I don't know. Claudine Gay was taken down for two different reasons. Um, one reason she was taken down was for not having crisper statements about the uniformity of application of rules of codes of contact when it came to uh, Jewish students. That's not true. Um, so it's one thing whether you have a free speech policy, or maybe you have a um, code of conduct. Yeah, I would say that she was, uh, she was attacked for Zion... Be on on behalf of Zionism. She was attacked on behalf of Zionism. So I almost never use that word. Actually, um, <clears throat> it's just it's charged. But <clears throat> she got in front of Congress and was asked like very specific questions about hypotheticals and about protests that happened on campus. And uh, mm-hmm. her answers weren't what people wanted them to be because she didn't always know the answer and um that's actually fine with me right she's uh, the head of a university she, but she doesn't know the answer to every question about every individual thing and you know she maybe wasn't used to being grilled by a fucking weirdos like marjorie taylor green and shit so she didn't really that to be fair i don't i'm not sure that she performed that well but um she was she was unable to express that um, criticism of a nation state and uh, anti-Semitism are not the same thing in a, in a mm-hmm. clear and concise way during that hearing. And it might be that she was maybe not allowed to because of the nature of a Senate hearing or a, a congressional hearing where they can just cut you off and you have to shut the fuck up. So <clears throat> that, was, that was part of it. He's going to say the second part is going to be plagiarism. And I haven't looked into that enough to... Um, to talk to decide either way tolerate certain kinds of speech whatever that is there's certainly a question about the differential application of that on behalf of different groups so that was one of the ways that she got into trouble the other way she got into trouble was the vulnerability of plagiarism in a weak academic record and you know let me just say this early and you'll come everyone will come to it late Plagiarism is the tip of the iceberg of uh, attribution bullying, where effectively you have these people who determine who did what in the narrative-driven storytelling that is academic, and what what papers get cited, which papers don't, what discoveries are named for certain people is determined largely by a tiny number of institutions, Harvard preeminent among them. And so Harvard just plays games morning, noon, and night with 
writing stories that put Harvard at the center and particular individuals um, at the top, whether or not those individuals have earned it or not. And what's hard for me is most people are now thinking, okay, Harvard is just full of it, but it, it isn't. It's half full of it and half the best place on earth to do anything important. And th that tension is not is what's not recognized. Now, power has to take a back seat to academics and to discovery and to brilliance if this game is to be maintained. You can't constantly just exercise power and tell stories. So, so I want to put uh, just a, a pin in something really quick. <clears throat> Her job running the university was uh, an administrative job. She was a bureaucrat. That is her job is the running the university. Somebody who has never published a paper in their life could be very good at the bureaucratic job of running a university. Um, like, like you have said that, um, you know, in, uh, you, what you found in software, uh, engineering, and I'm going to paraphrase you here, you here, and you can tell me if I'm getting it wrong, that the best software engineers are often not the best managers. Absolutely correct. Yep. So in this case, I think the same sort of like axiom, we could just apply it and just change a couple of the nouns out. The highest, um, the most accomplished academic is probably not going to be the person who's going to do the best job of the running the bureaucracy of the university and delegating uh, tasks and responsibilities to others. Yep, completely agree. So that doesn't matter. Uh, if she plagiarized shit, then, um, you know, again, I don't know, you know, uh, what I, what I haven't seen though, is, um, like accomplished academics coming out and saying she took my work. So from what I have seen, she did not plagiarize anything. She, uh, failed to properly cite some things that she she had in quote marks so they they were very obviously quotes she wasn't like trying to say like these are my words they were very obviously quotes of other people they just weren't properly cited if that makes sense no i understand it's like if i say <clears throat> if i were if i forget if i for in like i'm working on an article right now and i'm having a <clears throat> I'm, having some people with some experience copy edit it and it's um uh, humbling uh <laughs> and they're actually talking to me in the comments of the article about attribution a, a, a lot they're like hey you actually need to attribute this better you need to trace you need to track this down you have to remove this um, because the nature of the article is fairly inflammatory <laughs> as as you might imagine um <laughs> Especially if I pulled in, uh, pulled in uh, some academics and journalists who I know to take a look at it on my behalf. All things considered, I should probably have a lawyer take a look at it too, but I ain't got one of those. Uh, but, the, you know, if <clears throat> basically what's missing is like a footnote, essentially, like that this comes from this particular mm -hmm. paper. And I mean, that is a problem. But like the thing I wonder is like, was this early in her academic career? Was this like. Is this all over? Yeah, it was her during her PhD. So it was when she was uh, a an, an undergrad. Yeah, still a student. Yeah. Okay. Um, then that may be just as much the fault of her advisor as her, because her advisor probably uh, should have also been like, hey, you need to, but whatever. Like, I think this is all a smokescreen too. Um, I think yes. that, I think that she was canned because she wouldn't, she wouldn't uh, basically outlaw uh, protests, the, the protest of the, 
governing coalition of the Israeli government on her campus. I think yep. that's why she was she was canned. That seems to be the uh, bigger. It seems to be the elephant in the room, whereas the other thing was like a, a speck of dust on the floor. Yeah, and the other thing was was very obviously meant to stir up controversy where there really wasn't any. Right. Like if there was controversy, it wasn't controversy in the eyes of like the general public. It was controversy in the eyes of like the academic community that like maybe they could say, uh, you know, this person uh, had these quote misdeeds if you could call them that in her past but like it certainly wasn't to the point where you would say like her entire career is in jeopardy because of you know these shortcomings in in her uh in her past her academic work as a student yeah like Word. this was this was clearly drummed up to be an excuse for like uh like burning down her career for some other reason i think somebody even i think it might even been chris rufo and i could be wrong here but i think it might even been chris rufo that tweeted that exact thing out chris rufo is like the bad guy in a cartoon who tells you exactly like looks at the camera and like here's the plan (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly so in in my history with this university i've tried to figure out why does it behave so differently than every other institution of, of research is dei the boogeyman that does it though about? you know i'm does harvard behave any differently than like yale or like princeton or like stanford like what is so different between them because they're not listening to eric none of them are listening to eric yeah but eric went there eric's a, a an esteemed uh, uh, an unfortunate alumni of stanford right no harvard oh of harvard okay <laughs> that's so why they're so every different. other institution okay. of, of research is dei the boogeyman that everyone is worried about You know, I'm, this is so hard to, to even get into it. It's not actually, absolutely not is the answer that you're looking for, Eric. The only reason that you can't say absolutely not is because either A, you are a racist or B, you have been influenced by prominent racists so who the are question, against HK, DEI. The question, the question wasn't, is DEI the problem? If you heard the question, it was like, is DEI the boogeyman that everyone's talking about? And in that case, uh, yes. <laughs> well, I mean, that, that depends on how people are talking the boogeyman. So, and, and who everyone is. Yeah. <laughs> I would say that no, DEI is not a boogeyman. DEI is not a boogeyman in the sense that people are talking about it. DEI is fine. Like DEI is is good in almost every case that I've ever seen. Even the cases that are uh that are portrayed very poorly by the right-wing pundits and talking heads. Uh, DEI is 
is good in those cases in general. So the question by the host was asked in such a way that Eric could have gone any any particular direction he wanted to with the answer to. The question wasn't uh, specific, right? The question was, is this the boogeyman everyone's talking about? So that means they're not asking, is the problem here, DEI, is Harvard suffering because of uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion? It's just like, are people talking about it? And is it is it a boogeyman? So that's like a very different question than the, than the, the one that you attempted to answer. Uh, you should have asked the question that you attempted to answer because that's a more um, pointed and specific question. But the point of this interview isn't really to ask that kind of question, right? <laughs> yep. The point of this interview is, boy, isn't it nice that we're having this interview. <laughs> <laughs> In 4K, nonetheless. Or two. Uh, our universities won World War II. Uh, uh, that would be the Soviet Union that won World War II. I mean, when, if you need codes broken, if you need new weapons developed. If you need codes broken, that was a British guy named uh, Turing. Supposed to have SEAL Team 6 of the human mind. Yeah, uh, the Brits the killed him. Colin, and that's supposed to be MIT, Caltech, Princeton, Harvard. It's a very small number of super prestigious universities. Um. Part of the problem is... Ooh, notice how he didn't include any public ones like Berkeley, UCLA. He included MIT. I guess MIT is a public university. It's mass, I think it's Massachusetts government. But Think about... I don't even know how to say this exactly. If you think about a university as akin to a, an exotic car, a lot of people buy a McLaren or a Lamborghini or Ferrari because they like the styling. Status. But the soul of all of those cars is racing right and the people who buy the cars for the racing sometimes are really annoyed by the fact that the cars are status symbols and that's what a research university is to me what i'm interested in the racing and other people are interested because it it's sort of uh what you do to show that you got a two million dollar bonus uh from your you know if there's one thing that i i know about eric weinstein it's that he's not worried at all about status symbols <laughs> that's why he is the most humble man on earth this motherfucker <laughs> this motherfucker fucking goes around claiming he unified physics by himself like probably drunk on the back of a napkin like in his spare time when he wasn't working for peter Thiel, and then got mad that nobody believed him but yeah, of course he's not. A, no, 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 no status chasing here, friends. <laughs> yeah, have we printed up the 2024 most humble man on earth? No, we don't need to. We know there is. It's not year by year, friend. It's in this guy. It's a, a lifetime appointment. <laughs> yeah. So the other thing that <clears throat> that he's he's kind of got wrong here is that. If it was only like the, if so, if there were only racing purists that wanted to buy these exotic, very fast cars, the demand for them would go down and, 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 oh, but, but he's supposed to be like really good at like money stuff. Um, the demand would go down and then there would be less incentive to produce these basically street legal race cars for people who can afford them. And so they wouldn't exist. It's like the, <clears throat> it's like how. You know, maybe you're annoyed at people who think they're gluten intolerant, right? But the people who have celiac disease are real, mad, real glad a bunch of people running around complaining about their gluten intolerance because now they can buy bread at Safeway. 
because now everybody thinks they shouldn't have gluten. And so there's a fucking whole like a uh, variety of products for them. So they're like, well, whatever. I think these, you know, whether or not they think those people are wrong, they're like, well, this is good for me. Now I can fucking, now I can eat. Right? Like, so <laughs> it's, that's a, that's a really apt example. Yeah. And it's the same thing with these sports cars. Yeah, sure. People are buying them as a status symbol, but that then makes, you know, a company like Ferrari, it makes them able to be profitable. Whereas if it was just people who want to drive this car at the edge, well, first of all, you're driving that car at the edge on the street. You should go to prison. Um, but secondly, um, you do that. Oh, you're going to crash and you're going to need a new Ferrari. And, uh, you know, it's maybe you can only afford one if you're like a, like a, if you're really into like autumn auto sport and stuff. The odds that you're going to be like really into driving fast and also very rich are pretty slim. So you're probably going to save up all your life to buy this fucking thing. And boy, are you glad there's demand from new money fucking Instagram influencers for these fucking cars because they're able to fucking, you know, put that money back into the, um, into the, into the research and development to buy this car that you just want because it's fucking amazing. And it's as close to a formula one car as you can afford that you're ever going to be able to just drive around. So he's just wrong. He always talks about incentives here and the incentive for Ferrari isn't necessarily the purest the incentive for Ferrari, like any other company, is to make fucking money. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't race it, I don't know what you're doing there. And I'd prefer that you'd leave. Um, the purpose of a university is not... Wait, if you don't race a Ferrari, there's no reason to own a Ferrari? Really? You can just like owning a Ferrari? Like, that's the thing is, like, what if you you don't yeah 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 then what's the re what's the reason to have a car that handles or accelerates well at all you know you don't have to have the best one but like most people if given the choice they'd like a car with a little bit of pep right like <laughs> even just like a fucking yeah. even like just a the three series bmw who's kind of quick and handles pretty well and people yeah people aren't like driving it on the edge up a mountain road or whatever but maybe they want to hit that mountain road and they don't you know they want to have a capable car to do that like why even own that when you could own a, a Toyota Tercel? Right. Well, that's what I'm saying is <laughs> this, this, this analogy, this is really stupid because even if you're not pushing the car to the edge, man, just for the average person getting in a car like that and just hitting a corner, even at like 60% of that car's capabilities got to be just a huge kick in the ass. If what you drove before it was like a fucking a sedan, right? Like, <laughs> yeah great universe i feel like this is this is the these are the ramblings of a man who doesn't understand economics and it's surprising because this guy is supposed to to be um you know well well tuned in the in the world of economics right he's supposed to understand uh he's in uh uh what's his name the the uh, he works for he's peter teals he's yeah, the, managing, the he's, managing hold on i want to i want to real quick He's the managing director of Teal Capital. Teal Capital is Peter's um, venture firm that is a boutique firm. The big firm is called, oh no, now I forget. Anyway, the other, the big firm is called something else. It is a, the massive firm that invested in Facebook and whatnot. And he's the partner there. The Teal Capital, basically for a while, they were just calling it Teal's Twinks because he was just hiring all these <laughs> fucking 20, hot, hot 20 year olds for Teal <laughs> Capital. Um, but yeah yeah this is this is that's but still he's working like his job is to make money for this firm yeah yeah but also he doesn't understand like cars like people don't 
You don't, yeah. you, you don't make a $2 million investment in a car and then drive it on the edge to the point where if you just fucking accidentally tap the gas, you're fucking going into the side of a mountain, right? Like, <laughs> it seems like a great way to not have a $2 million car anymore. Yeah, I, I don't understand why this guy is in charge of anyone's money, let alone a billionaire's money. And we can't afford to lose that. So Teal's big firm is called Founders Fund. I don't think people have any idea how important it is to be able to call on your own nation's top academics when you need the truth, you need something done, you need help. And you need a nuclear weapon. Help. And so whatever it is that is denaturing our universities, that's turning this into a nightclub where you, the whole trick is to get past the bouncer for the cool kids, uh, has to be stopped. But what does it say that the ex-president of Harvard is someone whose academic bona fides were found out to be plagiarized, largely. Uh, not, no, no, not true, but also, also largely, also wrong skill set for running a university or any organization. Trying to say the balance between. I'm, I'm sorry, but largely, part. wasn't it like two papers out of hers were improperly cited? Man, How I want to spend. I want to spend a lot of time. Largely. Man, I would love to spend a lot of time uh, figuring, like, litigating exactly how many plagiarized sentences she has. That's that's going to be a lot of fun. We should we should spend most of our time there. Um, I'd rather talk about race cars, elbows, and the <laughs> sharp minds is wildly off. And and why is it? Nobody wants to say what everybody is thinking, which is this person is not fit to be the president of Harvard University. And why is that? Because they're going to get called a name. This was made all about race. Oh, what you can't tolerate scholarship of this. I'm sorry, it wasn't made all about race. It was all about race. Um, well, like 70% about race. 29% about gender, 1% about like being an academic in Harvard. And again, she was not, uh, her position was a non-academic position. It was an administrative position. Which is but not, yeah, it was 99% about race and gender. I sure I'm, I'm not, I'm not uh, going to divine the percentages. I think there might be grievance from, it might also just be that she's a progressive. It might be political. Um, but again, I don't, I don't want to uh, spend too much time on this, but the skill set there is uh, that of an administrator. She's an administrator or it was an administrator. It doesn't matter. You could have gone from, I mean, this, you know, you could have gone from managing a restaurant chain to managing Harvard and probably done a pretty good fucking job. Because it's the the skill set of an admi administration from a black female. It's like you, you're starting. To, I wasn't even questioning this before, but now you're saying a scholar's scholar. Me thinks that does protest too much. <laughs> we'll get back to talking to Eric in one minute, but first, isn't your dream science prove brain? So if you are money, get a free by going to the modern wisdom. There was a quote from Howard Jacobson that said, "I'm sorry, was that? I hope Claudine, was that Drinkle my nut? Is that I, what that was? I sure there were yes. no vowels in that in that URL, so I'm I'm going to assume that it was Drinkle my nut. 
gay marks the start of people who know nothing losing their jobs. Look, we need to bring back exclusion. We're talking way too much about inclusion. Inclusion and exclusion are two halves of a normal process. So to be fair, they did exclude a lot of other people from that job who weren't the president of Harvard, who were probably eminently qualified and had uh, wanted to be the president of Harvard. So uh, they did, it, it, they, but baked into this is the fact that, baked into this is not the fact, I'm sorry, it's the, the his, uh, probably going to be his hypothesis that she was a diversity hire. Probably. So I, what I'm assuming he means by we need to bring back exclusion is we need to only hire white men again, which is what we used to do before the diversity, equity, inclusion thing is we used to hire only white men. And I'm going to assume that what Eric means by we need to bring back exclusion is we need to no longer allow women or people of color at all in administration roles in higher education or at least at the top of the top of the layer cake in administration yeah so um un unless he convinces me in the next few sentences that that's not what he means i'm pretty sure that that's what he means claudine gay needed to be excluded from that office not included now if you told me that Condoleezza Rice was the president of Harvard. She's black, she's female, and I don't agree with her politically. But I don't think many people would have a qualification issue with Condoleezza Rice. Or but wait, she wasn't even her, she's not even fucking well known for being in academia. Now you're contradicting yeah, yourself. She's in, she's in politics, not academia. Yeah, yeah, she was, she was in the, she was in the Bush administration. Like again, he's just saying that cause she's also a black woman. Right. Right. But again, like he's now contradicting himself, right? She may have a good, she probably did great. And, and, uh, at a university, I don't know if she was ever a university professor. She may very well have been, uh, but or, you know, she left academia and went into, uh, public policy. She, I don't think she ever ran for office. Right. But she was a member of the Bush administration and, mm -hmm. um, She'd probably do a fine job of running Harvard. That's fine. But like he's now undercutting his position that this person should have uh, be a, uh, have some kind of academic excellence. Whereas this person was a cabinet level, like known well for being a cabinet level person in the Bush administration, which I would say is a fine thing to be, but it is not actually, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like I'm like, I'm, you know, whatever. She's a very accomplished person. And this, this, you know, I'm not going to, quibble that she is accomplished in what she wanted to accomplish but um uh, i don't think uh did she apply <laughs> like, probably not she's probably just counting money that's what i'd do if i was her let's say james gates is a black man a distinguished physicist this has to do with people coming from weaker subjects particularly activist subjects subjects that didn't exist before the late 60s early 70s when all of these things were created you know to an extent when which ones had, are i don't know if you recall the, the pictures of what is it willard straight hall at cornell with the black students emerging with weapons um 
you know, there was a revolutionary fervor at the end of the 60s, early 70s. And you have people creating women's studies, uh, you know, black studies. Uh, What he means by that is, um, and I'm paraphrasing here, he means the blacks got all uppity in the 60s is what he means. And he's he's saying these are weaker subjects because they're you know, uh, women's, women's studies is, it's going to include history, sociology, uh, anthropology. They're going to be, but, and, uh, focused on like women, um, basically throughout history and throughout humanity. And he, uh, he seems to think that's a, a bad a thing to study, um, because he is Eric Weinstein. I, yeah. Cause he sides with the men of history. The men who dominated history up until the point that he he thinks history started being uh, a a poor subject in in collegiate studies, you know when when you started to study women, and it turns out women were doing all these great things well up until the this point. The only problem is that the men were getting credit and he thinks the men should continue to get credit. Whereas women's studies shows that actually all these women who did all this work, they should get credit for the work that they did. Right. A famous example of that is the book Frankenstein, right? That's written by Mary Shelley. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, you know, we've known that long enough and her name's been on the fucking publication of the book for long enough that now, I don't even remember the dude who fucking stole the book from her. If I'm going to be completely fucking honest. Yeah. Uh, she, she wrote that book and it was sold under a pseudonym by a, a male author's name. Yeah. 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 So like, that's just one example. And it's like, and these, these departments were basically born of activism more than scholarship. I'm not saying no scholarship gets done there, but scholarship and activism are essentially fused and many of us think activism is great just don't do it next to our physics and math and computer science and music yeah absolutely colleges aren't the right place for activism famously colleges known for being absolutely status quo a hundred percent of the time no no uh 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 protest action no 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 activism taking place on their campuses famously throughout history. So what he's saying is he thinks (laughs) these fields that these aren't like the, the, the students having a protest on campus. That's actually distinct from what he's claiming here. Um, again, I, I've said this before. If somebody writes us a nasty email, uh, it doesn't go to you. So, (laughs) um, what he's trying to say here or what he is saying here is that it's that the activism is inherent in these fields of study. And he thinks that's bad. Now, what was interesting is he's like, don't do it next to our physics department. And I'm like, well, you know, how many uh, meters away from the physics department do these uh, activist uh, uh, studies need to happen? Is it you know, 10 meters, a hundred meters? Fucking should it be on the other side of the country? Like how far away, Eric, how far away? How far away? Uh, both uh, literally and figuratively, how far away should this be? But also, his, I'm guessing for him, he would measure it in megameters. So <clears throat> his definition <clears throat> of activism is like you were saying that it's uh, women's studies. That somehow that's uh, an activist field, whereas it's not. And <clears throat> and not for nothing. Like 
those people still have to take like the general classes like everyone else. They have to fulfill math requirements, history requirements, some science requirements, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So they're not like, they're not just learning things that are directly in their field. I hope that I, you know, the idea is that they get a fairly well, well-rounded education with a focus on a particular uh, area of study. And if they choose women's studies or black studies, that's um, actually totally fine. Actually, They're going to be in classes with people who are on uh, what he would call a hard science track for uh, like more uh, general uh, uh, education stuff. You know, if what you're really there to do is to ignore certain things and accentuate others and not search for the truth, um, that's not an ignoble pursuit. It's just, that's not what the truth, according is. to scholarship is Eric Weinstein, by the way, about understanding things and getting them right. And we've, we've gone down a terrible turn, but, you know, just consider I think your listeners uh, might enjoy Googling the string, um, cook, cook something up to ease him out. That was a phrase that was used uh, internally in documents within Harvard when um, a Kenyan was ejected from the Harvard Economics Department um, back in the 60s. And what had really happened is that this guy had, had passed all of his exams. He was fully qualified. He was working on his dissertation to become a Harvard PhD in economics. And the university, I think, decided that it didn't like an African man sleeping with white women in, in America. And it got rid of him. Oh, wouldn't it be great if there was an area of study at the university that looked into incidents like that and others? <laughs> of similar nature uh, where you just replace a couple of the nouns and maybe it's a woman or a, a person, you know, a Latino person or uh, you know, maybe even uh, anti-Russian bias or some shit. Maybe, maybe there's uh, maybe there's room in the university for uh, studies of things like that. Oh wait, no, that's activism. <laughs> it's funny. This guy just brought up a fucking example of something that like completely contradicts the other point he was trying to make. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, I was the only black person ever excluded from anything in Harvard, actually. It was just a fluke. Weird thing. Just weird. Never <laughs> happened before. He was in good standing. That The only reason we know about that is that it turned out to be Barack Obama Sr. So Harvard conspired 100% with the State Department to destroy the career of Barack Obama Sr. And that's how Harvard works. In the star chambers, it cooks. And what does it do? It cooks things up. It cooks up stories. It cooks up um, attribution. It gives people credit for things that they didn't do first. It takes credit away from other people. Um, I was there in the mid-90s when it destroyed my wife's career um, through something, a star chamber called the Harvard Jobs uh, Market Meeting. And all the economists go into a closed room. They lock the door and they say, who's got a good student? And my wife was the student of a Nobel uh, Award winner in economics. And she had um, done something which was to bring an entirely new kind of mathematics into economic theory to replace something called the marginal revolution, a new form of differential calculus called gauge theory. And a guy named Dale Jorgensen, who recently died, said, nope. So even though 
a Nobel level economist was promoting her and saying, this is great stuff. She should go anywhere in the country, a woman of color from the developing world. Um, an old white guy just said, no. And, you know, in a second. But you coming in there and suggesting that, okay, I'm in the economics department, but check this out. We're going to use a new kind of calculus to figure out uh, things about economics that people are going to, in that economics department are going to look at you and be like, have you lost your mind? Have you done the work to demonstrate that this is, you know, going to work? Have you done, like, why aren't you presenting this to the math department in this case? And you, she's like, Oh, my boyfriend's in the math department. I don't want to spend any more time with him than I already do. Probably something like that. But it's also interesting that, uh, he created a whole new kind of physics and she created a whole new kind of economics and they're married. Oh shit. That's fucking, that's a weird coincidence. <laughs> yep. It's a, it's a, it's an amazing world we live in where that kind of coincidence happens all the time. Oh, and his brother also made a new kind of, uh, uh, look at that. Oh shit. New kind of, new kind of biology thing that everybody didn't take that seriously. It's a whole, this is a whole brand new medicine, medicinal theory. This is a yep. whole, this is a whole like family of, uh, that, that remember that, you know, that meme we demand to be taken seriously. This is the, <laughs> the, you just replace all those with the fucking Weinstein family. Like, I wonder, and I, I don't know this, I wonder if it was his influence on her that was like part of the impetus impetus for her to pursue this, or if they're both just delusional as fuck. <laughs> One can't know. Uh, she, her One can hope to find out, though. ...ordered in the pile. And why were they doing this? Because they wanted to fix the CPI. Uh, and I don't mean fix as in cure it. I mean, fix as in fixing a baseball game. Um, because the CPI is used to transfer wealth. What's CPI? The consumer price index. And the reason it's important is that mostly what the government does after its military is uh, entitlements, social security payments, Medicare payments, and those are indexed to inflation. So people pay into those programs their entire working life. So they are in fact entitled to those benefits, uh, when they retire, Eric. And the way in which it takes in money is through taxes and those tax brackets are indexed to inflation. So it's very funny. Everybody focuses on like central banking and the fed, but the Bureau of labor statistics maintains a statistic that transfers billions and billions of dollars. And if the CPI is overstated, uh, it pays out a lot of money and takes in very little money. And if it's if you can get it to be understated, uh, then you get to take in much more money. You don't have to pay old and sick people. And that's what the Harvard department was doing. So there's a single figure that mediates everything that it's, gets squeezed through. How funny. And, and so what we, we were doing uh, as a collaboration was showing the right mathematical framework to calculate the CPI. But that would have allowed less fuckery. It would have allowed less, yeah. To use the technical term, so. <laughs> so, uh, but but the, the point being that the Harvard jobs market meeting inside of the Harvard economics. Does he not curse? I don't know. I don't know. I, I I don't know enough about Chris Williamson. But the problem here is that there's there's another answer for this is that this the her that her scholarship was bad, or maybe even not bad but incomplete, maybe right. That, there, that 
that it wasn't all there yet. And that, that, you know, a big institution like Harvard and like the economics fucking school at Harvard turning that change in that, like, that's like turning a barge, right? Like it's, it is, it is a big, powerful institution with a lot of inertia. So I don't know. I don't know why anybody would presume to go, even if they're right, why they would presume to go in there and just change everything. Is a star chamber the way the uh, immigration um, status of Obama's father was a star chamber, as was the way in which my PhD was over and over again. Harvard closes its doors and it makes stuff up. This sounds unsalvageable. As no, somebody, no, no. F- no, no, no. It, sounds like, it sounds like we've got the people leading it have gotten in through some combination of diversity, equity, inclusion, nepotism, game playing, harsh elbows. Seems like the people they just that- hired a guy named Daniel S. Freed, who's one of the greatest mathematicians alive in my area. Um, Dan and I might disagree about string theory. Or, but Dan, oh, oh, I wonder, oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> oh, I wonder if the guy, this guy makes fun of Eric. I bet he does. I, uh, mathematicians are fucking not known for their parties, but uh, I bet the Harvard math department, I bet you get some good jokes that you don't understand at all about Eric because you're not a mathematician. Clearly spoken like a man who's never been to a math party. <laughs> Scholarly disagreements. Just had lunch with him in Austin, Texas. Um, that guy's a scholar through and through. I can disagree with him. I can fight with him. Uh, I can, I can have my differences. I would support him a hundred percent as a scholar to take over. Uh, you know, as a as a provost or dean, if they were interested. There's no shortage of absolutely fantastic people at Harvard. But if and, they're unable or unwilling to play the political games in order, that are required, unless they're prepared to file their elbows down to a sharp point. Well, this is what Bill Ackman is doing that's so confusing. I just, I have the feeling, I don't know this guy at all. Don't have positive, negative I thought feelings. you would have crossed paths with him at some point. You would think. There are various people who I don't cross paths with. For They probably I, avoid you. Whatever reason. Um, I don't even think we follow each other. Or maybe I follow him, but I don't think he follows me. <laughs> I should block him, Eric. You block everybody. Um, I think that the problem is, is that a lot of these people don't know how the research game works. They think about this in terms of the Harvard Business School, the law school, the undergraduate alumni network. They don't see the part of Harvard that actually produces the mystique you know, the analog of the racing for the exotic car. And I, I wait, whoa, 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 whoa. The Harvard law department doesn't produce any mystique. Um, you, sir, sir, you should take a look at, uh, Senate. <laughs> you check, check out the Senate, uh, check out the boards of directors of fortune 500 companies. Check out, check out the, uh, top of the layer cake in the private sector. And you're going to find a lot of Harvard, uh, law grads there. Yeah, U.S. presidents. Like you're gonna, you're gonna. Mm-hmm. That is, uh, unless unless the mystique is just something that Eric is defining as um, things that Eric thinks are impressive, which could be the case. We have to always remember that 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 this is all like filtered through the lens of like Eric should be the one to decide what's important. Yeah, the ERI, the Eric Rule of Index. Right. 
<laughs> free, that the right thing to do right now is to appoint a curmudgeonly research-oriented person in a super rigorous field. It doesn't even have to be STEM. Like music is an incredibly rigorous field. But what we need right now is rigor. We don't need another person from uh, the social sciences at this moment. We need somebody to reestablish that Harvard is an intolerant place, that it has the highest possible standards, it's unabashedly elitist, it's unabashedly American, and it cannot live with DEI. DEI is a parasitization of our best hopes and dreams. And we have to recognize that. Who's so our? I think what he's saying here is we need to go back to like the time where Harvard didn't allow black people in. So, I think that's what he's saying. So I think these people actually have nostalgia for a, um, a fantasy version of the 1990s. So there were 90s. No, I think it's the 1950s. So I, I think these people have a nostalgia for a fantasy version of the 1990s because these are like elder Gen X or like younger, like lost generation folks. And they were in these institutions in the nineties. And they'll probably tell you that in the nineties, there wasn't any racism and that it was a pure meritocracy. And that's why the economy was booming and all that shit. I legitimately believe this. Um, <clears throat> he'll, because he doesn't, well, anyway, like that's what I think's going on here. And it's because he, that's when he was a fucking like a postgrad, a postdoc or whatever, or a grad student. So <clears throat> it's like a romanticize, romanticizing a past that never really existed. And I, I think it's the nineties. I, I really do just based on how old they are. Cause they were in their twenties or late twenties, early thirties. And life is good in your late twenties and your early thirties, especially if you're at Harvard, right? You're doing pretty good doing pretty no, good no matter what era it, it it is that they're fawning over it's still a fantasy yeah absolutely dei has to be destroyed so that goals like diversity and getting the right people into the room are not sacrificed on the altar of mediocrity and lack of ethics it's what? interesting that i'm sorry wait dei like, equals mediocrity and lack of ethics well sure How? Because because Eric says so. Yes, and it's <laughs> it's so it's so crazy. It's so crazy. Like I could maybe see mediocrity if you view like uh like the uh like test scores. If you think that test scores are a perfect uh indicator of how someone's uh someone's economic output would become throughout their life which it's not it's absolutely not like your test scores are almost entirely determined on your socioeconomic factors like maybe 20 to 30 percent of your test scores are based on like your actual like intellectual input to the test and 60 to 70 wait did i do that math right clearly i'm not one of the top <laughs> so whatever 10 percent of the test takers the other the you other know, thing a, a large portion of your test scores are determined on your socioeconomic status whether you were able to secure a breakfast that morning whether you were able to like drive your own car 
to the the test taking facility whether you were able to uh, afford the education that you would need to to know like the the knowledge not intel intelligence which is a different thing but the knowledge that you need to to pass the tests because there's like these tests test knowledge in a lot of senses not intelligence some of it is intelligence for sure but a lot of it is knowledge and if you don't have that knowledge because you couldn't afford the education to receive that knowledge then you're just sol even though you're just as smart as anyone else in that field you just couldn't afford to have the knowledge or like to have the access to the knowledge even also not not for nothing you're not getting into um harvard with what he would say are um mediocre uh test scores <laughs> just to be like extra yep. clear here like you know what i'm saying like you're going you're no matter who you are even with the like legacy crap they have or if your granddad your dad went there if you don't have if you don't have good test scores you're not getting in anyway yeah even if you are able to overcome mountains of adversity mountains of struggles to reach the level where you are if you are not at the same level as someone else who didn't have those mountains to get over who just had a flat fucking path to walk across as they went through their their adolescent years you know spoon fed all of this uh all of this like premium level education like even even though you surpassed those mountains of of adversity in between you you're still not going to get in cuz you were one point lower than than the guy who who was uh you know born with a silver spoon in his mouth so again i just his his claim that this is a mediocrity or whatever is is not borne out by the facts you're not getting into any of these elite universities with what he would consider to be a mediocre mediocre uh academic performance or mediocre uh scores on uh standardized tests it's just not it's not happening this is this is just untrue this is all a proxy for um <clears throat> the fact that universities are considering other factors besides these test scores so you got to have you know the, the you got to have the good score but then other factors are considered on top of it whatever they may be and he doesn't like that. No, but uh, according to the Supreme Court now, you can't consider race at all. I Sure, but that's not what Eric's talking about. He's just mad that they're considering other factors at all and that it's not, um, you know, gonna, if, he, he, if, if it was up to him, I think he would want it to be legacy, academic performance, and test scores. And that's it. I think that's what yeah. he would, he would uh, probably think is the ideal uh, scenario if I had to wager a guess. They had made some changes to the ways that grades and diversity account for admissions, but they didn't get rid of legacy admissions, which kind of tells you everything that you need to know about what's being protected. No, I don't think it does. Is this not another way to ensure that the people, just to ensure that power is, is held in the people who already have it. See, this guy thought he was going to fucking get Eric to go after legacy admissions. But Eric, I, like I said, just a minute ago, I was like, Eric probably thinks that's a good factor. Like, do you come from a good family that's been to Harvard before? Like, I think he thinks that's a factor that I think 
If I had to guess, that's what he probably thinks that's good. Like somebody in chat said, it's like an academic version of like uh, eugenics almost. <laughs> like, yep. But very soon this thing isn't going to be worth very much. I don't think that people can. I think this is the same as looking at why Marvel are going downhill. Yeah. What? Say more. There are a lot of huh? movies coming out at the moment. I think the most recent Star Wars director openly said, I enjoy making movies that make men feel uncomfortable. To John Stewart. Star Wars. Yeah. Is Star Wars Marvel? I thought those were different things. I mean, yes, they're both owned by Disney, but is now Disney equal to Star Wars and Marvel? It it also like is just an incorrect that uh, Marvel is not making money. Or go, what they <laughs> yeah. said going downhill, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. Like, what is... And I mean, and there, these things are also cyclical, right? Like for a long time, the biggest movies were rom-coms. Uh, there were t a time when the biggest movies were just comedies. Uh, and for a long time now, the biggest movies have been like superhero movies. And maybe that mm -hmm. cycle is coming to an end where these movies will still be profitable, but maybe, maybe five or 10 years from now, they won't be the biggest blockbuster. Maybe it'll be dramas or, you know, some maybe, <clears throat> you know, related to a current genre of movie, but something we're not really necessarily familiar with, maybe some new kind of, uh, new kind of, uh, you know, amalgamation of maybe drama, comedy, and um, like suspense or whatever will come together. And that'll be like a genre of movie that is then popular. Like, were they saying this shit about, oh, the rom-coms are getting down, uh, going downhill because they're, they're now the fucking the directors are saying <laughs> shit I don't like to John Stewart? No, motherfucker, that just ran its course, man. You can only do, you can only do so many clones of When Harry Met Sally, okay? Like, yeah, like like it's it's been superhero movies for the past like fifteen years. Right. If we keep going at this trajectory, by by the year like twenty fifty, it'll just be like all of the superheroes just hanging out in like a like it it'll be friends but with superheroes, basically. <laughs> I think it would be even funnier if it was like a long form or a, a superhero movie was just a three hour long form podcast interview where they pretended they knew about physics and history. <laughs> Got Superman in there playing Eric Weinstein, fucking <laughs> Aquaman in there playing Dave Rubin. Like, <laughs> yeah, like the, like, yeah, the, that if you think about it, like you can go back further, right? Like in, well, for a long time, it was dramas like Gone with the Wind and um, like the Humphrey Bogart era. These were all like romantic sort of drama movies. And that ran its course. And then I think after that was like the sort of Saturday Night Live, like going into the 70s or whatever was the Saturday Night Live. The 70s through like the 90s, all these big movies with people who were Saturday Night Live alums that were like comedy movies like Caddyshack and, um, you know, um, uh, some unfortunate movies like the uh, oh, what was the one where the, the 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 guy oh Revenge of the Nerds unfortunate unfortunate movies like Revenge of the Nerds like oh fuck that movie was Jesus Christ that was a problematic movie to the extreme and somebody in the chat just mentioned Wayne's World which seems like Wayne's World and Austin Powers seem to be like the end of that cycle right yeah yeah like uh, it. And for that cycle, it was a little different than the superhero movies because the superhero movies in regards specifically to Marvel, they ended the arc, you know, the, the arc started in like 2006 
and uh that that series the avengers arc started with iron man in you know i'm i'm you know what i'm saying yeah, it, yeah. it ended it, it, with narnia, iron man dying narnia. oh remember basically. the remember the chronicles of narnia like what i'm saying is like that arc finished and now sure I, the, you know, the, narr- the, like the, the people that are saying like oh superhero movies are going downhill oftentimes what they're talking about is iron man's not there right but but it's like yeah he died like, in the story these things are i i'm uninterested un, un in like the plot right the overarching plot that's going on in the universe in this this imaginary universe what i'm saying is yeah it's it's a very simplistic view of movies in general to think that like the superhero genre was was specifically marvel or that like the fact that like marvel movies aren't as popular as they were several years ago when like the the fucking like major arc was ending like yeah sure, obviously but- that's going to be a a, a bigger event then it's like saying like the first game of the season of football is not as big of, of an event as the super bowl yeah obviously obviously okay no one's sure. saying that football is dying because there weren't as many views of the first game of the season as there were on the super bowl sure uh but it could just be the end of the cycle too we could be moving on to comedy coming back as the big blockbusters or whatever or movies like the barbie movie right which is sort of barbie's almost a superhero in some sort of ways right but but (laughs) oh my god i i would love to yeah let's absolutely consider barbie to be a superhero never she never ages never mind never mind let's let's keep barbie she's never going with the content never mind maybe one of the most male-dominated audience movies that i can think of yes it's self-destructive so what I'm trying to say is, is that you can, you can say, oh, we're going to keep things open for legacy admissions, right? But very soon, you're not going to want to be associated with it. I mean, already Yale has mismanaged its research university for years. It made a very bad decision not to go hard on, on sciences and STEM uh, and focused, in my opinion, too much on, on softer fields. Um, you know, so what happens when Harvard is no longer that prestigious? If people start laughing at Harvard, mm. uh, what good is it going to be that you can get your kid in? I don't disagree, but I think people are so out of touch. The people who are in power are unable or unwilling to see. Just one of how, these days, no one's going to care about Harvard. Just how, I just know it. I'm Eric Weinstein, and I just know it. One of these days. But like, what if, what if that's true? And like, what if there's, again, what if there's just a life cycle to this kind of influence in our society? And like, maybe now. I don't think that that's true. But but I'm not saying that it is. I'm saying, what if that's the case? Then what? Is it the fault of the fucking black people going to Harvard? Or is it just that like, maybe now, um, now like it's moving from the East coast to the West coast. And now it's gonna be like Stanford, Berkeley, UCLA that are like the, then, then what? Okay, it's fine it's, with me. It's the fault of whatever was happening at Harvard at that time, coincidentally. Right, and that's fine. Like, I don't understand. Eric doesn't have anything to do with fucking Harvard anymore. He doesn't have anything to do with any of this, right? He's like a fucking talking head, and he works for Peter Thiel. What the fuck? Why does anybody give a shit what Eric thinks about uh, universities and academia? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, he has nothing to do with it. Yeah, I mean, we can just assume that there was like 
a furry convention at Harvard at the time, and it's the fault of the furries because furries ruin everything. So, you know, it, it was the furries. I'd love it if there was a furries department at Harvard where they were doing like cultural anthropology on the furry movement and, and community. FDH, the furry department of Harvard. Quickly, the stock price is plummeting. I don't think that they're able to see this. Thinking about it, especially using the, the Marvel example again, or some of the things that are coming out of Disney, <clears throat> you have a quantifiable figure. What was the opening weekend at the box office? You yeah. know exactly where this is. M there are fewer places to hide. So this isn't where movies make money anymore, is at this box office either. Like the, the industry's changing dramatically. It was already changing before COVID and COVID accelerated this change and where these movies are going to make money most of the time isn't necessarily, they're going to, you know, a blockbuster movie, people will go to the movie theater to see it, but they're going to make their, they're going to make their money on licensing to like Netflix and, you know, Disney will make money on the back end just by putting it on Disney plus and getting subscribers when it hits Disney plus they'll make, you know, I don't know, whatever, whatever other service, right? This is where the money is now. It, that's just where yep. it is. licensing and streaming. Yeah. And you know, even we, we mentioned, uh, the, the comedies, um, the comedy thing, a uh, Wayne's world sort of made fun of this, this thing that there was a big tale on starting to happen on movies with merchandise. Right. You remember, and, uh, uh space balls made fun of that too. Right. Like this was already <laughs> happening where the tail is where all the, you know, you get this bump at the beginning if it's a big movie, but then you have this tail, like, that Barbie again, Barbie made all this money, but you, Oh, you, Oh, we're, you think people not buying more Barbies now? <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, you think there aren't new Barbies coming out based on the movie where now the people that wrote, you know, they, they may have licensed the Barbie IP, but now some of that IP belongs to the movie. The, get the fuck. Like this is the, the industry's changing. This is like complaining about like the fact that uh, bands aren't um, making all their money because of a uh, radio play. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is, or that they're not, you know what? Nobody's buying a cassette tape of my band anymore. <laughs> yeah. Our cassette sales are terrible. Therefore the entire music industry is terrible. Yeah. Uh, Taylor Swift hasn't sold any cassettes. <laughs> <laughs> I think ever, right? She's yeah. never sold any cassettes. Yeah, you know she's J she's the worst performing cassette uh, uh, artist the, ever in history. Did you know that Jamiroquai had a real tough, tough time marketing their eight tracks? <laughs> <laughs> worst performance of a disco band ever on the eight track. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny is like Taylor Swift vinyl has actually been selling quite a bit. Yeah, but like those are every the time I go Taylor, to Target, the, I see Taylor Swift vinyl in their vinyl section. Like, but, but that's the Taylor Swift fans you probably don't want to hang out with because they're just like, they're just like, hold on, I have to clean my record. It's like, shut the fuck up. I was a DJ. Like half the vinyl they have in stock is Taylor Swift vinyl, and not because it's not selling; it's because it is selling. At <laughs> here's the number. What did it cost? What did you make opening weekend? Right. And you have projections and you have targets, presumably, that you want to hit. If that number doesn't cause people to think, ah, maybe we don't need another narrative about an all-female cast that is better than the men without sure, overcoming any challenges. Sure, but what you're not looking at is... What's wrong with an all-female cast? If you look at Mike Hopkins' work on the Kerverian variant, 
in what? the mathematics department. That's like opening opening weekend statistics. What man, great stuff happens at Harvard. Make no mistake about it. Harvard is an amazing and horrible place. And we're gonna all now focus on how dumb it is and how horrible it is. Yeah. And like then you're not seeing the tragedy. You're not seeing I didn't have an advisor. I was one of the only people you'll ever meet with a PhD that had no advisor. Ah, but he, uh, wait a minute. I thought he mentioned earlier that anyway, I think they had a meeting about Eric. <laughs> I think they're like, listen, we got to get rid of this guy's been here for too long. All right. I guess he's pretty good at math, whatever. Um, nobody here wants to be his advisor. Um, nobody wants to listen to him at this. Can we just give this guy a PhD and get him the fuck out of here. I think that was, <laughs> I, I think, I think, I mean, I, 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 you know, I have no evidence to suggest to back this up. So uh, this is you know purely conjecture, but I, these are just people and I don't think most people want to hang out with this, this guy. I think, I think his only friend ever is Peter Thiel. I don't know if Peter Thiel is his friend, <laughs> but I, I know what you mean. Sounds like he's a pretty unlikable, likable guy. And by, um, by, oh shit, we're out. Oh, that's the, you know what? We made it further into this than I thought we were going to. We made 25 minutes in about an hour and 25 <laughs> minutes. So that's not so bad. <laughs> we made it twice as far as you thought. <laughs> to be fair, I thought we were going to do 10 minutes in an hour. We'd have to get Eric to run the math on that for us. But, but who wants to listen to him explain the fucking simple, like the simple arithmetic involved? Like, honestly, who wants to listen to me explain that? <laughs> what a, do I have to apologize for the show again? What a garbage episode of this show we just did. <laughs> you do not have to apologize for the show again. Uh, ev everyone, you're welcome for that horrible show. Uh, you're welcome for subjecting you to Eric Weinstein for an hour, hour and hour and 20 minutes. Uh, we do the show every week live on twitch.tv slash Ecoplex media. Uh, that is at 7 PM Pacific. Uh, and after the show every week, we, we do red light where we turn the lights red. We, we pour an alcoholic drink in our drinks and we have a lot of fun. Come join us anytime live. Uh, if not, keep listening to the podcast. Uh, after the song, we'll be back for red light. Here is Boomers by Periscope. 